New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Kiwi, welcome in. Good morning, good morning. How are you? Not yet. I'm great. I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I went to uh, I, I uh, little 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 artsy last night. I went to go see the uh, Dior fashion exhibit at the Brooklyn mm. Museum last night. And I mm. uh, had dinner in Brooklyn. Haven't been to Brooklyn in quite a while. I don't get there. I don't get there as much as I like. I love Brooklyn. So, uh, so it was just, it was just absolutely gorgeous, stunning. You know, it was really cool. At the end of the, the exhibit, they had a, a number of the dresses that a lot of celebrities have worn on the red carpet. Mm-hmm. You know, the couture dresses. Uh, and so it was just, it was really, it was, it was just really. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, man, I've been living in sweats for like a year. <laughs> like, like. You know, man, you, you and you and me? the rest of us. Now you and the rest of us. But that, that's the booty <laughs> of living in New York, though. There's a lot of once in a lifetime like opportunities for most people that you can just kind of catch on a whim. So I'm glad you took advantage of it. Yeah, it was it was really beautiful. So folks out there, if you have an opportunity, especially weather conditions uh, being uh, this way, probably for still another month or two, really, let's be honest, all the way through April, if you have a chance uh, to go check it out, again, it's the Dior exhibit at the Brooklyn Museum. 800-919-3776, that's the phone number I, uh, I was on yesterday, uh, Kiwi. I had Harry Carson on, as you know, Harry Carson, big part of the Fritz Pollard Alliance Foundation. So had him on talking about all that went down this week with Brian Flores. Uh, we just heard from Cynthia Freeland, and of course, she pointed out you, Flores, uh, and her all went to Boston College together. So I was really excited. You and I have not had an opportunity to talk about all that went down this week. Um, Brian's allegations, his lawsuit, not just against the Giants, your former team, but also the Miami Dolphins, as well as the Denver Broncos. So uh, as soon as you you heard about this uh, this lawsuit, uh, what were your what were your what was your initial reaction, Kiwi? I was I was shocked um, that it had come to this, but I wasn't surprised that of the people that I know, the people that I've worked with or had the privilege of, you know, you know, shared an office space or a locker room with Brian is one of those guys who is an independent thinker, um, stands for, like he says, the truth and really means it. You know, there are integrity guys and then there are people who project this image of high integrity. He's a legit integrity guy. And so um then there was the other part of me that was like like why why brian you know like why did he have to do this because of the coaching minds that i know he's one of the best ones like he was one of the better coaches in the league last year and yet he got fired so there was there was a huge range of emotions i was um first and foremost um i was upset i think every not every, but I think a lot of black people were upset that it, it had come to this for brian there was an outcry and um you know, an uh, outpouring of support when he got fired because it was obvious to the masses that he didn't deserve to lose his job. But we kind of just moved on from it because we thought, oh, well, it's it's Brian Flores. Like they almost missed the, they, they missed the playoffs by one game. He got that team inspired. He comes from, you know, a good coaching tree. He's very intelligent. He's experienced. He's paid his dues. He's obviously going to get another shot. So the timing of it, for me was also very significant, not just being the beginning of black history month and, you know, something coincidental, but he was still part of the way through this hiring cycle in which many people believed, you know, prior to him following this lawsuit that he had a very significant chance at getting one of those jobs that was left. And so for me, that really just, it, it, 
it emphasizes the the level of importance here. This is, you know, not somebody who's, you know, now got sour grapes and, and wants to come back and say, well, I should have gotten a job. No, this was somebody who was willing to sacrifice, legitimately willing to sacrifice his own career because he saw something or things that were so egregious to him um, surrounding football, surrounding race, surrounding um, whatever affiliation you have, um, and he felt as though he needed to blow the whistle at a point where he had the most or he could have the most impact. And so I, I applauded him after that when I when I took a step back and you know, was, was was done soaking in everybody else's opinion and, and was just trying to sit there and think of, of myself. It, it reminded me, you know, my grandfather was a prime minister of Uganda and and he took a lot of heat and took a lot of flack for a lot of the sacrifices that he made. It's difficult. Um, it's very difficult for people to really be leaders, to truly be leaders, to truly put yourself in a position where you're going to take on that fire and that heat, knowing that you're probably not going to benefit from it more than the people who are coming after you. So um, I know I said a lot, but the, those are those are just my thoughts. It was, you know, it was frustrating. It was saddening. It was disappointing. It was angering. And then and then I was overwhelmed with a sense of, of pride that, you know, like you know, of the men that I've worked with or you know been on the field with, you know, he's he's up there at the top for a reason. I'm like, yeah, I, I knew I knew that he was that kind of character guy. I knew that he would do the right thing under the right circumstances, which is very difficult. And that's another thing we need to talk about, which is that um, there is always pressure to not have the discussion about race because it is such an uncomfortable discussion to be had publicly. Again, uh, Matthias Kiwanuka, Anita Marks with you. You're listening to New York Game Day. When we come back, uh, we'll open up the phone lines. Bill in Queens wants to uh, weigh in on the conversation. Um, and, uh, and, and let's dive into this class action lawsuit, uh, the claims against the Giants. Uh, obviously, that Bill Belichick text is what put that in motion. Uh, the claims in regard to his interview with the Denver Broncos and more importantly in Roger Goodell, well, maybe not more importantly, let's be honest in the big scope of things, but Roger Goodell said that uh, the NFL is going to have a, a, a in investigation in regard to the tanking allegations uh, that Brian Flores is uh, is claiming in his lawsuit with Steve Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Kevin Abram- Abrams who was our, our, it still is our cap guy, held that position for 20 years. And so now he's stepping down. He's becoming the senior VP of football operations uh, and now giving this job to Brandon Brown, who is, happens to be an African-American. So good job by the Giants. And he is now going to become the assistant general manager to, uh, to Shane, just FYI. So that was a, a hire. Still the Giants looking for a defensive coordinator, and reports are that Wink Martindale uh, is going to either has already interviewed or is going to be interviewed, and uh, and and I'm I'm all for it. I've heard great things about Wink, not just uh, around the league, you know, not just from the Baltimore Ravens, but around the league. So uh, that should the only thing there that I find interesting is is the type of defense that Wink likes to play. Very blitz happy, a lot of man on man coverage, not a lot of zone. And the Giants are going to have to make some decisions, Kiwi, in regard to Bradbury, as was in regard to Martinez. As we heard Shane say in his press conference, uh, they're cap-strapped. So 
those are two guys immediately on the defensive side of the ball that in my mind, if they were to release, uh, it would, would really free up a lot of cap space. So it's really going to be interesting to see a, who they hire and what defense they run along with what defensive players they keep and who they have to let go because of their cap situation. Yeah. Well, first of all, you know, let's um, congratulate Brandon Brown on his, his new position and um, you know, helping to promote some representation within the organization. I'm almost positive that that's not the reason he was hired. I'm sure he stands on his merit and, you know, looking forward to, you know, him being a, a crucial part of the organization. As far as a change in coordinator, anytime there's a change of coordinator and ch or change in uh, defensive philosophy in general, there's going to have to be changes. There's going to be people who aren't going to fit um, per se into the the strategy and so there's going to have to be some some changes made regardless of of who comes into um to run the defense so i think um, losing patrick gam graham was a hit i thought he was one of the the bright spots of of the team nevertheless he's not here anymore and we have to we got to move on uh getting back to of course the uh the brian flores news and and his class action lawsuit um, let, let's start with the Giants. I mean, you're a former team, and I'm sure very mm -hmm. disappointing in, in regard to you know what you're hearing from Brian, but also the Giants are saying that that's inaccurate. They released a timetable in regard to all that transpired, but you know, I, I think I think really the key here is how much weight do you put in Bill Belichick's text message? Did Bill get the information that they had already hired Brian Dable before Flores? Uh, came to New York to sit down and spent the day at the Giants facility. Um, where did he get that information? Did he get it from a reliable source? Did he get it from somebody high up who had already made the decision? Did he not? Also keep in mind, it wasn't just from the Giants organization he attained that information. In his text message to Brian, he said he heard it both from the Giants and the Bills that Dable was going to be the guy hired. So uh, your your thoughts on, on where that situation stands and, and the Giants' response to it? I mean, the first, you know, who is it? Herm Edwards, the one that says, just don't hit send, you know, like, I feel like this, this should apply to, to, to more than just, you know, athletes who are, who are struggling out there in the Twitterverse. But um, I think when it, when it comes to the Giants specifically, um, I said, remember I said last week that I thought they missed an opportunity you know, in not hiring Brian Flores. This is before I knew about any litigation or the lawsuit. And the reason I said that is because I genuinely feel like he is a great qualified coach. Doesn't mean that Brian Dayball is not qualified or isn't going to be qualified, but I just thought that it was it was an opportunity and still is an opportunity for an organization to promote a very well qualified candidate who will likely be successful um, if given the chance. Um, I think it also highlights the whole purpose of this lawsuit is we need to have answers there needs to be more transparency and if changes are going to be made intentionally you know trying to make a difference obviously the rooney rule came about with good intent but the more transparency we have the more changes we will understand um and make effectively so i don't i don't i don't know what's going to come out of it um, I just hope that the process is as thorough as the financial process is obviously going to be. I heard you touch on that a little bit, you know, because it's it's that important. But the 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 the, the conversation about race, about race relations, 
in the NFL as it regards to players and, and representation in the front office is a very long one. And I'll, I'll just read one thing real quickly, and then I'm pulling this directly from the litigation, you know, so we can just talk in facts. When Washington's owner, Mr. Marshall, died in 1969, he abhorrently stipulated that his estate be used to establish the Redskins Foundation on the condition that it was barred from spending money for any purpose which supports or employs the principle of racial integration in any form. Like reading that is very difficult as a black person who played in the NFL, because it's, it's an admission, a deathbed admission by somebody, um, you know, in a position of power and authority while setting up this, this entity um, that there was racial bias from the beginning. So people who are in office right now are benefiting from uh, a, a system that was set up racially um, to bias black people, African-Americans, minorities in general. So regardless of whether or not there's implicit racism at the top right now, I do feel like there is an obligation for the people who are in charge to try to, to correct that, to try to provide some visibility, provide some pathway of opportunity for minorities who are coming up into the process at that top level, at that coordinator, at that head coach, at that GM level. I do believe that they're looking for the best qualified person. But the problem is coming into situations like this, coming into the ground floor, a lot of opportunities are given because of proximity. You know, they're given because of, of who you know. And oftentimes those people all look the same. And as they go up through the ranks, they they tend to hire each other. We know it's it's a fact. You know, you hire your friends in the NFL, you know, children are hired, this and that. So the opportunities, in my opinion, need to start being changed at the bottom level. Um, to affect some change down the road, down the line, next generation, all the way up to the top. 800-919-3776. Let's take some calls. Let's go to Bill in Queens. Bill, you're up. Welcome in. Welcome into New York Game Day. Good morning, Nikki. Good morning. I take like my call. Um, I'm a middle-aged white man, and, you know, I would be just an idiot to not realize that there is a problem here. You have 32 teams, and there's one African-American coach. I mean, I don't know what the magic number is, but one is not the magic number. But I guess... Looking at it from my perspective, you know, you don't want this to become like a Colin Kaepernick thing where kind of people like paid attention for a little while and then they lost interest. And I saw, I heard that interview with Keish, uh, Keisha J. Will and Zubin with uh, Hugh Jackson, and I thought that was very intriguing, his answer to the question. He was asked, have you ever taken money to throw a game? Uh, paraphrasing a little bit. And he was like, well, I didn't, I didn't take money. You know, I, my, my check is direct deposited into my account. Like, you had $750,000 extra in your account. You didn't pay attention to that. And I just think, think things like that take away from Brian Flores stepping up, falling on the sword, basically possibly throwing away his whole career for the greater good of what's going on. I mean, I think that if there's something tangible to give to the conversation, then bring that to the table. But I just think something like you, Jackson, that, that, that takes away from it. Like, you didn't know that you had an extra $750,000 in your account, and you didn't go to your employer and question that? Uh, I don't, I I don't mean, think, Bill, I don't... Bill, with all due respect, and, and I appreciate the, 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 the phone call, I, I don't... I don't... I think we're reading into um, what 
what Hugh Jackson had to say, and I'm happy to elaborate on that when we get back. Emmanuel and Flushing, I see you. 800-919-3776. Quick break. I will do that when we get back in regard to what Hugh Jackson has been communicating across uh, many, many media outlets. He was on CNN as well. Uh, and we'll continue with the uh, the Brian Flores conversation. I, I want I want to change it though, Kiwi. And if you can marinate in this in the break, and that is, you know, where, how, and where do you see change happening? I don't, unfortunately. I think it's a sad state of affairs. I think you're talking about some of the most wealthiest, most powerful men in the country, who I don't even think government is willing to step in. Why? Because a lot of these dudes pay for their campaigns. I just don't see it happening. I don't see them being held accountable. And it's, it's, I think it's a very sad state of affairs, but maybe you do have um, a resolution. Maybe you do have some suggestions on how to turn this around. And I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing them. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Uh, Jordan, welcome in. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Good let's morning, dive right Anita. in. Let, let's, uh, let's dive right into it. There's a lot to get to. Good morning, Jordan. Okay. Um, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. In regard to um, the Giants' reaction, this is the first time I've had an opportunity. I'm sure uh, Matthias as well to talk to you. Uh, the Giants' reaction to the class action lawsuit that Brian Flores uh, is uh, is claiming. Uh, I know that the Giants sent out a timeline, but uh, what else can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, look, they they. Totally, uh, they were not happy with it. Obviously, uh, they you could you could tell by the fact that they brought out a second statement, which came out. I guess what was it? Uh, Friday, Thursday, Friday. I don't know. These the, the days are getting lost on me right now. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, they just thought that the idea that they hired somebody, you know, that that was the perception. And that's actually what uh, Brian Flores' lawyer said on television, was that a decision was made, and uh, they had already told people, namely Bill Belichick, that they were going to hire Brian Dable. That was on that Monday. Remember, Brian Dable didn't even have an in-person interview at that point. His interview was on Tuesday. So John Mara's contention is, you know, there's no way in the world am I ever hiring somebody to run my organization as the head coach and relaying it to other people before we even have had him in for an in-person interview. Now, was he likely to get the job because Joe Shane was the general manager? Sure. But there's a big difference between, you know, likely to get the job. I mean, Wink Martindale is probably likely to be the defensive coordinator right now. Right? I mean, that was the guy that I heard Brian Dable had, uh, you know, had, had brought up with during interviews. So is he likely to get the job? Sure. But, you know, they go through the interview process, and I think that's how the Giants are looking at it. Yeah, I mean, I, personally, I think it's important to get to the bottom of what actually happened. You know, personally, for, for Brian Flores, because he feels like he was wrong specifically during this process, like this hiring cycle, this round. But I think the more important conversation and an ongoing conversation right. to be had is how do we affect change so that the percentages, the numbers of the lack of representation of black people in front offices and in coaching head coaching positions um, can actually change, you know? And so 
you know, I'm just curious, like what is, what is your perspective? I think it, it needs to start from, you know, the bottom, the beginning, the opportunities that you get because you're, you know, somebody who can connect you with a, an internship, that type of situation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I look at it and I say, okay, I'm looking at the Rooney rule because that's kind of what we're getting at. And he's, do I think his interview with the Giants was a sham? Not really. But do I think that a lot of these interviews that are, you know, taken, uh, maybe even on the, the defensive coordinator search right now, they're, they, you know, they are, end up being shams because you have a person in mind, but the rule mandates you go through this process. Now, I don't know what can be done and needs to be done, but they have to find a solution where, I mean, I, Kiwi, you probably know people too, and Anita as well. I know people who have gone on interviews, and I've talked to them beforehand, and they knew it was a sham interview, mm-hmm. right? They knew, like, they have to interview a minority for the job. They knew the job was going to likely X person. Now, you granted, you get in there, you're, you're in the room, you always have a chance to blow somebody away, man. Actually, how you know? I mean, Joe Judge is not a minority, but he was not getting the Giants' head coaching job, and he went in the interview and he blew them away, and he ends up getting the job. So that's mm-hmm. always a possibility, but you don't want people going into an interview with such a slim chance of getting a job. You know, like I mean, if you go into an interview, you're like one in a million chance of getting a job. That's that's not that's not a situation that you want for anybody. We talked about so we talked about the with, owners. In my opinion, a system that works better. We talked about the owners and you know the, the reluctance to change and you know when caller had talked about the likelihood of it being slim to you know none in terms of them changing. Um, do you think that there is resentment because of the Rooney Rule? Do you think that there is an issue at that level that they have to interview somebody of color and and that's causing an issue? You know what? I really don't know what it is. It's hard to say because these are 32 billionaires, right? Even more because some of them have multiple owners. And each one of them are so their own person, right? So I really, I think it's it, each one of these situations is kind of isolated. But what I do know is you could look at the numbers and there's a problem. I mean, even this cycle, there was some really good black uh, head coaching candidates. And somehow, somehow... But by the end of it, we might have zero black head coaches. I mean, you're talking about Brian Flores, uh, Eric Bieniemy. Um, I don't know. Off the top of my head, I'm, I'm you know I'm not going to list them all off. But there was there was like four or five really high end black coaching candidates, and somehow, you know, none of them came out with the, came out with the job. Now each one of these situations is is, is their own situation, right? Because these owners could do whatever they want, right? They're, they're, they own their own team, and they make their own decisions. But at the end of the day, there's something there where when you're talking about one of the, you know, uh, figurehead pieces of the organization, at the end of the day, they, te- they seem to uh, lean towards the white candidate. And, and uh, they're, they're, I don't know, it needs to be something done, in my opinion, at ownership level, more than anything, you know, Jordan, I want to I want to go back. Jordan Renan joining us here on ninety eight point seven ESPN. Um, I, I want to go back to you know what what happened with the Giants, and and I know you just shared with us in regard to the timeline, like John Mara saying, I'm not going to hire anyone who hasn't come here yet and interviewed. Mm-hmm. You know, but but and really the smoking gun here is Bill Belichick's text messages. 
and and the conversations yeah. the conversations that I've had with a number of people in and around our industry is, well, you know, who where where did Bill Belichick get that information? Well, a few things. Number one, we know from mm-hmm. the text message he got it from both organizations, and it's Bill Belichick. Like I like to me, I just I I'm putting more weight in regard to who sent the text message, knowing what his connections are across the league within organizations, and like I just highly right. doubt. That, and, and again, this is just my two cents. This is my opinion. I just doubt that that Bill Belichick is going to send a text message to that mistakenly to the wrong Brian, but nonetheless with somebody that he hears from, let's say from the scouting department. Like to me, like 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 it had to be. And again, my opinion, it had to be a substantial source on both fronts in order for Bill Belichick to send a text message like that. Do we, do we, you have any insight, any information, anything in regard to where or who text Bill Belichick or no? I mean, I do not have access to Bill Belichick. I would love to, (laughs) Anita, by the way. I mean, if I had, if I had, I would have a blast. I mean, I could sit there. You know how like you get stuck in the hole on like uh, Instagram or uh, TikTok and you're just scrolling and you're just going and you're going and you're just like stuck in that hole for like hours. I mean, I, if I had Bill Belichick's text, I mean, I could go to, to there for days and, and, not, and not be, uh, you know, bothered for a second. Here's the only thing I'll say about that. The Giants, in this instance, better hope that the, whoever was corresponding with Bill Belichick and whoever he got his information has no one with the last name Mara Tish mm-hmm. or McDonald or McDonald right. because those because that's ownership and those are the people involved in making the coaching decision and if it if it comes out and if there's a smoking gun that one of those individuals did flat out say they were going to hire Brian Dayball then the Giants are in really big trouble I mean to the point where th- th- this would be to the point where they would be pressured to sell the team. Like, that's how, that's how bad it would be if that were the case. Now, I don't know that to be the case. I have no idea who told Bill Belichick. It could have been countless people, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of people in the organization. But those are the only people that are ultimately making the hiring decisions. So if it's not from them, he's just gossiping like the rest of us. But he's obviously – everybody gossips, right, in this league. But – it's how much are you informed, right? More, he's obviously more informed probably than the rest of us. It's just a matter of to what degree. Um, we heard that, Bill, that, that uh, Roger Goodell is going to investigate what happened in Miami uh, with the alleged tanking that Brian Flores is reporting with uh, Stephen Ross in, in the Miami Dolphins. Don't you feel that he should investigate everything? Don't you feel he should investigate what happened with the Giants? Find out who texted Bill Belichick? Don't you think he should investigate what happened with the Denver Broncos as well? Showing up late and, you know, uh, hungover to the interview with Brian. Like, if you're going to interview interview everything across the board in regard to everything that's being the allegations in this lawsuit. Yeah, these are serious allegations. I don't see why you wouldn't investigate it, right? If there's a team, the New York team, one of your flagship franchises did do what Brian Flores and his lawyers have indicated and that they had made a decision that they informed, they had already offered the job is essentially what their claim was by that Monday before any of them had even interviewed. 
if that's the case, that's a serious, serious problem. And, and it should be investigated. Uh, it's, so a, it's, a, me, it's a very serious problem. Um, it should be investigated. But that's something that's very difficult to, to prove. And, and we know how these investigations are going. So, like, you know, for me, like just looking through the suit and looking at what he's requesting, right? So they're, they're looking for um, increased influence um, of Black individuals in hiring, you know, how, how do we get that? How do we have black individuals have influence in the hiring process? They're looking for increased objectivity in the hiring and terminating of GMs, head coaches right. um, in general. Um, they want to increase the number of black coordinators and then incentivized hiring and in retention of black GMs and head coaches. So that's something that, that Roger Goodell could do right now is incentivize the hiring and retention of black GMs and head coaches. Um, and then also something I didn't realize wasn't there was transparency of pay for general managers. Like we talked about, Hugh got that, got that extension and, and nobody knew why. So I, I think um, an investigation like this is an opportunity to, to look at, we, we could sit and speculate about what the giants did or didn't do specifically, but I think the, the, bigger picture and that that's important it, it needs it needs to be addressed and there needs to be an no i agree with you but the bigger conversation this is all this other stuff all this other stuff is just distracting us from what the real problem is yeah right? the the bigger the real the problem bigger, is there's an underlying problem that that, yeah. that minorities are not getting hired at the rate that they should be in a league mm -hmm. that is i think they said 70 percent the players are 70 percent black uh, so, Jordan, yeah, really that quick, needs to be the that needs to be the focus, really. Jordan, before That's we let you go, Jordan, before we let you go, two quick things. Uh, number one, in regard to uh, the defensive coordinator position, have they interviewed Wink Martindale yet? Will they on Monday? What, what's what's that situation right now? Yeah, they started interviews this weekend. Uh, Wink Martindale was one of them that that interviewed uh, Sean Desai. Also, he was the the defensive coordinator of the Bears. Uh, Wink Martindale is is the name that Jim Schwartz also uh, had did a did a virtual interview with them. I mean, Wink Martindale is a name I mentioned before. I heard during the process that Brian Nibble was connected to. I would look at that. I would keep an eye on that name moving forward. Again, anybody can can win out during an interview process, but that's one to keep serious uh, consideration of. And when you look at Patrick Graham, real quick on that, people have to think. When his really close friend, why did Patrick Graham choose the Raiders, right? Why did he leave? Joe Judge was really close with Patrick Graham, really close. So when you watch your friend get railroaded, it, it, which is kind of what they thought happened there, and that this thing just kind of went off the rails and a lot of promises that were made that he'd be given time, all of a sudden disappeared really quickly in year two, you know, then you're like, oh, yeah, sure, come back. We want you to come back. You know, there's – there's – naturally some hesitation there so that's why the giants in the first place are searching for a new defensive coordinator jordan thank you so much always great having you on uh, enjoy the rest of your sunday a very uh long long awaited sunday off i'm sure so <laughs> yeah i know you know it's it's weird not having football on i was thinking to myself I today i mean there's the pro ball right but you're like like oh what's, what do we got today and you're like, eh. <laughs> yeah all right, Jordan. Enjoy your uh, enjoy your Sunday afternoon. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. So, Rich, welcome in. Good morning. Good morning, Rich. Hello. Hi. There you are. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning, Anita. How are you doing? 
We're great. We're great. We appreciate your time. Uh, get us up to speed. How was the Senior Bowl? Uh, and, and how significant uh, was it that, of course, uh, you know, Robert Sala and his crew were there really front and center? Yeah, I mean, it's it's huge for – I mean, of course, you don't want to be coaching in that game because they picked the two staffs with the worst record that have a holdover coaching staff. So you obviously don't want to be in that game. But when you're there, it's so beneficial because, I mean, Anita, these guys are having access to, to the players in the game like 16 to 18 hours a day, you know, from, from breakfast to meetings to practice to just hanging around the hotel. And so – you know, you get to learn about people over the course of six days. I mean, you're not just watching them in practice. You're seeing how they react with their teammates. Um, like as one of the coaches was saying, how they respond to the, to the housekeepers in the hotel, just little stuff like that, that you just file away, you know, in your memory bank. And uh, you get a lot of intel on these players, and presumably they can use that in a positive fashion. Rich, I know it's a it's a big like you know it's an honor it's a privilege to be named to go to the Senior Bowl. Like in your opinion, like how beneficial is it for the players who are there? Just curious. Oh, it's huge exposure. I mean, it's over. I think they had like 120 players, and if you go there, you you got a probably a 90 percent chance of being drafted. I think they had 106 players last year in that game who got drafted. Uh, and if you don't get drafted, you're going to get signed as a free agent if you're in that game. So, uh, you know, did they have any top 10 picks there? Probably not. I don't think any of the players that were out there are going to be drafted that highly. But there were a couple of guys, uh, Trevor Penning, the tackle from uh, Northern Iowa, is going to be a first-round pick, uh, you know, possibly in the middle of the first round. And a couple of other guys as well, you know, Trey McBride, the tight end from Colorado State, is probably – a borderline first, second-round pick, Zion Johnson from your school, Kiwi, uh, Boston mm-hmm. College, was very, yep. imp- very impressive. Uh, I watched him in, in the pass blocking. He was, he was excellent. He could be a late one, early two. So there was a lot of talent there. Again, Rich Cimini joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. So with that being said, um, based on, on the needs, and I know there's many uh, for this Jets team, uh, what are some of the players that stood out uh, that you believe will be available when uh, when, and when and when and where the Jets pick and, and, and who you think uh, they're they're really targeting right now? Well, at four and ten, like I said, I, I don't know if any of the players in this game are going to be going as high as ten. So the guy who was really interesting to me was Trevor Penning, uh, six foot seven, left tackle from Northern Iowa, uh, just a nasty, and I'm saying this in a positive way, a nasty demeanor. (laughs) I mean, he was knocking over his own teammates in some of the, uh, you know, warm-up drills and just pancaking guys. I think he was out to prove a point because playing at Northern Iowa, obviously he didn't face the the elite competition. So I think he came to this game with it to try to prove a point. And I think he did. Now, could the Jets take him at 10? That's probably a reach, but, you know, there's always a possibility of trading down from 10 to take him maybe in the middle of the round. I think the Jets are very much in the market for an offensive tackle. Uh, You've got to remember who the GM is. Joe Douglas, he loves drafting offensive linemen. You've got to remember who the coach is. Robert Sala, he loves drafting defensive linemen. So I think you put those two right at the top of the list in terms of, uh, you know, 
needs. So for sure, the uh, you know those two needs I would say are right up there. And the Jets really like the tight end group. This is a very good tight end group. I mentioned Trey McBride. He actually scored a touchdown yesterday. Uh, we spoke to Ron Middleton. He's the Jets tight ends coach, and he spoke highly of uh, McBride and also Jeremy Ruckert from uh, from Ohio State, local kid out of Long Island. Uh, didn't play in the game yesterday. I'm not sure why, but he also had a pretty good week of practice. You know you. Uh, really quick, I mean, I know one of your your columns this week was was all about Becton and, and and what's going on on that offensive line and the fact that now Robert Sala came out and said uh, doesn't matter where he was drafted, he's going to have to come in and he's going to have to compete for the starting job. Fill us in. What went wrong with Becton this season beyond the obvious and uh, and and your thoughts on the fact that this is going to be a competition coming into this season? Well, I like that Robert Sala said that because he's trying to build a culture, a meritocracy. So Makai's scholarship is over. You know, he's not going to be handed that job. In fact, if they went to camp today, George Fant would be lining up at left tackle, you know, so he's going to have to come back in and try to win that job. Just from talking to people down there at Mobile, I think there's a chance, maybe even a pretty good chance that they move Makai to right tackle and keep George at left tackle. George is a better left tackle than right tackle. They're really, really happy with George Fant. He's still got another year on his contract. And so I could see Makai moving to right tackle. He played it a little bit in college, so I don't think that's out of the question. What happened was, you know, he had the knee surgery. The Jets thought it was a six- to eight-week injury. Uh, I think there was some, you know, disagreement maybe from Makai's camp on the severity of the surgery. And uh, it took longer during the process, as you would expect, a, a 360 to 70 pound man. Uh, you know, he put on weight while he was out. I mean, he just couldn't do his conditioning because of his knee surgery. And by the end of the year, I was told he was close to 400 pounds. And so there was no way he was going to get back on the football field. And so essentially, Robert Sala challenged him the other day. He put him on notice and he basically challenged him. Come to, come to OTAs in April in, in the best shape of your life. And he wants to see a commitment this offseason. Okay. What, are, what are your realistic expectations for, um, for this team next season? Well, it's interesting, uh, Kiwi, because I, I wrote this in my notes column this morning. I mean, uh, the Bengals, you know, we're all, you know, celebrating them right now on reaching the Super Bowl. They went from two wins to four wins to the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. The Jets had two wins and four wins. Could they go to the Super Bowl? I asked that question to Robert Sala, and of course, he took the, you know, we have to be patient approach, which you would expect a coach to say. But, um, yeah, I think it would be a, an extreme long shot to, to, for the Jets to pull that off. In fact, the Bengals were 125-1 to 1 in the preseason to reach the Super Bowl. But you do want to see progress. I mean, I think it's fair to, uh, to expect a double their win total, you know, to go from four to eight. That's that's reasonable progress. I think uh, you know the Jets. I think it all comes down to quarterback play. If they get even average quarterback play, they can increase by a few wins. Last year, for the most part, they got below average quarterback play, and I think that probably cost them two or three games. So if they can get Zach Wilson to raise his game to the point where we're not even talking elite, forget about that. If he can just get to the middle of the pack, the team will win you could put them right away for two or three more wins. So uh, I think that's a reasonable expectation, just like right around that eight-win category. So what, what needs to happen immediately to get better than average quarterback play? Well, their defense can't, can't stink. 
you know, and it's not last year. You know, let's be honest. You're a defensive guy. They're, they were ranked 32nd in, in several defensive categories. You know, you're yeah. not going to win in the NFL. I, I asked you what Am we I need right? to do to get the, the get better quarterback play. You immediately blame the defense. Yes, I have a defensive well, guy. I, I have heard that a number of times. I'm used yeah. to it, but go ahead. Well, <laughs> well it's, it's really an interesting offseason, Kiwi, because it's, it's like a two-pronged offseason. Like, what do the Jets need to do? Well, their defense was 32nd, so obviously they have to improve their defense. But there's also the school of thought that you have to do everything you can to elevate Zach Wilson. And, and that means getting a legitimate tight end. That means getting another wide yeah. receiver. That means getting a, an offensive lineman. So the Jets, they could go one or two ways. Can they do both? You know, they do have a lot of draft picks, so I think they'll probably try to attack both areas. But those are the two, if you want to simplify it, those are the two things they have to do. Better defense, help Zach Wilson. Can they do it all in one offseason? It's going to be tough, but I think they'll try. Uh, two last questions for you before we let you go, Rich. Number one is, what is Zach Wilson doing this offseason? What is he going to be doing to uh, improve his craft and, and come in maybe bigger, stronger, smarter, uh, wiser? What? How's he going to spend his offseason? Do you know? Well, that's a good question because uh, he he will be working with his coach, John Beck, um, he, you know, his personal coach, you know, who's been working with for a few years and who also, as everybody knows, spent the second half of the season on the Jets coaching staff, but Beck is gone. He, he had a one-year contract. He has gone back to quarterback tutoring and private practice, and he will not be coming back to the Jets. He will remain as, you know, a quarterback coach. So, but Zach will be working with him. And what Zach was saying at the end of the year, he wants to work on his strength, you know, just overall body strength. I think he realized the NFL season is pretty long, and it got longer last year with 17 games. Of course, Zach missed four. But I think maybe his body took a beating, you know, toward the end of the year. He certainly took a beating in that last game against Buffalo. So I think building, you know, adding some muscle, building his strength up is reason is is priority number one in the off season. It's just to build some shock absorbers, if you will, to take the pounding. And uh, I think also getting some rest. You know, it was a long year for him. All the pre-draft prep. Pro day combine, you know, jumping right into you know OT, you know, not OTAs, but training camp with the Jets. That's a pretty long year, and I think he's probably taking some rest now. And I think right around now or in the next couple of weeks, he's going to be you know ratcheting up his program, uh, throwing with with his coach, and also uh, like I said, just trying to build more body strength. Last but not least, uh, salary cap wise, how how active and attractive, how aggressive are the Jets going to be this offseason when it comes to free agents uh, based on their cap space? And, and what are what are some of the names that uh, Jets fans should be paying attention to? Well, they have uh, about $50 million right now, which I think puts them about fifth in the league, which is a pretty good spot to be in. They can easily get to about $60 million. I think there's a good chance they're going to restructure C.J. Mosley's contract. Um, he's got an enormous cap figure this year. It's $17.5 million. It's all guaranteed money, so they can't cut or trade him, and I don't think they would want to. I think he's a very important piece to them, but I think they could do a very simple restructure and get and get a lot of money right there, and so that will help. They're going to be aggressive, but I do not believe they will be going after the top-of-the-market guys. Uh, J.C. Jackson from, uh, from New England is going to get uh, – you know, a massive deal if he doesn't get tagged by the Patriots. But I don't think the Jets will be chasing the top, top guy at each position. I think they'll 
pretty much do like last year and look for that second, third, or fourth guy. And I think the positions to watch are safety and tight ends. They quite honestly don't have starting caliber players at either of those positions, especially safety. I don't think Marcus May will be back. I think I think he'll move on. Sorry, my dog is barking in the background, but I don't think Marcus <laughs> May okay. will be will be. Uh, I guess he's a Marcus May fan. He doesn't want. He wants Marcus back. I didn't <laughs> want to hear that he's moving on, but I don't think Marcus May will be back. And uh, you know, they, Braxton Berrios is a big name for the Jets. I know they've been talking to his agent, and I think that will heat up at the combine next month. I think it's fifty fifty on whether he's back. So I think they're trying to keep some of their own guys. And I think, like I said, tight end and safety are going to be the two areas I would look for. And even defensive tackle. It's a very strong defensive tackle class in free agency. I could see the Jets adding some depth there as well. Great stuff, Rich. Thank you so much for spending time with us on this uh, on this Sunday morning. A well-deserved Sunday off for sure. Uh, so we appreciate your time. Okay, you take care. Enjoy the rest of your, your afternoon. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Take care. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks. Mike, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing? Very good. We're great. We're great. We, we spoke to Rich Samini not too long ago, about 30 minutes ago. Just out of curiosity, were you at the Senior Bowl as well? I was. I guess you didn't watch all week on ESPN2 and ESPNU. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Todd McShay, Greg Balfour, myself, we were there uh, all week. And and so uh, so first things first, you know, what was your takeaway from uh, from from being there? The guys that you watched, of course, right here in our own backyard, the Giants and Jets. They've got amazing draft capital. Any guys that stand out to you that Giants and Jets fans should keep their eye on? Yeah, you know, starting with the quarterbacks, I thought Kenny Pickett uh, had a good week. Sam Howell uh, from North Carolina, uh, Malik Willis from Liberty is a really intriguing quarterback. He's a transfer from uh, Auburn who I thought was really interesting. Uh, Perry and Winfrey from Oklahoma, uh, defensive lineman stood out. So uh, Jim Nagy, the executive director, he's done a great job, guys. Every year um, the game has gotten better. How, how about this for a stat? 41 Division One head coaches were there. Um, mm. And to me, you know, when you get great quarterbacks, everything else follows. So Pat Narduzzi, Nick Saban, um, Mike Norvell from Florida State. So it was um, really well attended. And I uh, thought it was a really good week of practice. Um, and again, a lot of credit goes to uh, Jim Nagy. And when you get six of the seven top quarterbacks, typically, you know, other other good things will follow from there. That's my um, Michael Coe, good friend of mine, former teammate. He's um, he's down there working with, with them. So it, it's good. I'm glad that you had a, a positive experience. I've always been curious as to what um, general managers, what front office staff like get out of the experience um, how much evaluation is going on during that time process and or what it is specifically that you're looking for. Are you looking for stuff on the field or are you looking more for how they carry themselves throughout the community? You know, Kiwi, it just pains me that I have to compliment somebody from BC. You know, five minutes <laughs> into the show. I, I really wish this story had to do more with somebody from UMass, but uh, I'll give you a great example. Zion Johnson. So Zion Johnson's an offensive yes. lineman from Boston College. Yeah, he's a beast, yep. He, he, he is, Kiwi. And here, to answer your question, here's a guy that after practice was taking countless snaps guys at center. And mm-hmm. literally, like everybody else is on the bus, they're done, they're talking to their agents or whatever. And here's one guy after practice taking rep mm-hmm. after rep, just trying to get better, Zion Johnson from Boston College. So to answer your question, people at teams notice that. And mm-hmm. you know when you draft players, especially after the first round, 
where we know they're going to have to be developed to get better. You're looking for players that are going to be the first ones in and the last to leave and that they're going to work on their craft and they have, you know, a desire to be great. And when you see Zion Johnson just dripping in sweat after, you know, a two hour NFL practice working on taking snaps, like that is meaningful. And, you know, like we always tell players, like that's a great way to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Yeah. Your reputation will go a long way. That's good. I mean, I, I watched the, him, the kid. I was about to call him the kid. I watched that man all year long, and he's definitely he, he's talented. So it's good to see that it, it actually resonates. It, it translates because there's so much at risk for young guys. You know, playing in games like this, like you could be injured. You know, you could you you have a freak accident or or whatever it is. So to know that there's positivity coming out, something that could be beneficial for their careers in this game is is good. You know, I like. I like it being inclusive and for a lot of people who maybe didn't, you know, make the the list of some, you know, front office somewhere or getting a look or getting an opportunity because you know how it is. I mean, you could be projected wherever you want, but like, you know, careers come about because somebody was given an opportunity and they met the challenge, you know? Um, yeah. Really quick, last thing I'd like for you to comment on this, Mike, before we move on. And that is just, you know, the significance and the importance and the value uh, that uh, that of course Robert Sala and in the Jets coaching team had up close and personal the entire week with a number of these players. Yeah, it, it's that's a great point, Anita. Um, and if you really study it carefully over the last couple of years, it makes a big difference. So it's a great opportunity for the Detroit Lions and the New York Jets because you get to spend the whole week in the classroom with these guys, see how they learn again, see like what kind of questions they're asking. You know, who needs more reps? And I wouldn't be surprised if we were sitting here in May after the draft and somewhere in the fifth, sixth, seventh round, both the Lions and the Jets drafted a player that they coached all week. Um, mm -hmm. It's really um, – I don't think it makes as much of a difference in the first two two to three rounds because those players are covered so thoroughly. But there's some smaller school guys that, you know, get an opportunity. Um, so I think it was a great opportunity for Robert Sala and his staff. Uh, with that being said, obviously, uh, the biggest news this week is uh, Brian Flores in the class action lawsuit uh, that he has filed against uh, the NFL, the Giants, the Denver Broncos, as well as the Miami Dolphins. Um, you know, let's let's start with the Miami Dolphins, first and foremost, because of your ties with the organization and, and Stephen Ross. What, what was your first reaction when you heard the news and, and read that part of the lawsuit, Mike? Yeah, you know, I can't really surprise everybody else. You know, I, I worked for Steve Ross for five years and. Um, I had a wonderful experience. Uh, he was a fantastic owner. He gave us absolutely every resource possible to win. And we always said if we didn't win, it was on us because um, he had all the resources and support for us to win. And, you know, to me, what's interesting is like one of the questions I would have is, you know, why was Brian Flores fired? You know, he had back-to-back -back winning seasons. He beat Bill Belichick a number of times. And to me, I'd like to know more about that because, he did a really good job there, so would love to know what happened there. He certainly, by record, deserves another opportunity to be a head coach, you know, based on what he did in Miami, especially over the last two years. And to flip the team this year, and Kiwi, you know this, like you you need to have authentic leadership to go from whatever it was, one in seven at one point, I believe it was, to, mm -hmm. um, you know, having a winning season. Now, look, they didn't make the playoffs um, in any of the three years he was there, but um, to go to have back-to-back -back winning seasons, to have a winning record against um, Bill Belichick, that, that's an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. that, I mean, and that's what I was saying all along. It's like, first, before the season even ended, I was saying that um, 
the Dolphins looked like they were playing for their coach's jobs. I think I remember saying like it was like I didn't expect Brian Brian to be fired, but I was like it's you know as if a D line coach stands up in front of your group and says, "Hey guys, like the way that this season is going, we're going to be all in different places next year if we don't get these wins and and stuff like that." Because they 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 looked inspired, you know, and now to find out you know, that it was, you know, Brian's job that was potentially on the line is, is to me, it's, 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 it's unfathomable. So um, he's a great coach. I genuinely believe that he had a very bright future, which brings to light the fact that it was a tough decision for him. It had to have been a very tough decision for him. So my question to you is, how much truth do you think there is? How much, how much fire do you think is behind all the smoke? Well, it, just in terms of, you know, the, the, the Rooney rule, I, I would say, look, it, it hasn't worked by any objective measure. It was a well-intentioned rule that hasn't worked. Um, you know, one of the great privileges I have now, guys, is I, I teach a class uh, at Columbia University in their master's in sports management program. And for two years, we studied the Rooney rule. Um, and the one suggestion, you know, that our students came up with is there needs to be a much greater emphasis on the entry-level positions. And um, both from a gender and racial diversity standpoint. And if that's done in a more effective way, I think over the years, more qualified candidates will work their way up the ranks. And while there's a number of qualified candidates now, ones that I've worked with, Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph, those guys deserve to be a head coach again. I do think if, if there's a greater emphasis put on like the beginning of the hiring cycle on the entry-level jobs, hopefully over time, guys, you know, in theory, you wouldn't even need the Rooney Rule because – there would be so many more candidates coming up through the system. So, you know, clearly, you know, the, the system is not working and it needs to be fixed. What does that look like? What do the changes at the entry level like actually look like? Is it um, something similar to the Rooney rule, but only at a lower level or is it something completely different in your opinion? Uh, Kiwi to me, every single person that's hired, like every single, and, and, you know, oftentimes, and we used to joke about it, like, you know, I'm proud to say, like, I worked for Coach Belichick a couple of times. And, you know, you're, you're at such a low level, like, you don't even make the media guide or the website. Like, I remember, like, graduated from Tulane Law School. I'm making $300 a week driving people to the airport in Cleveland. And there's, like, Thomas Dimitrov, the future GM of the Falcons, and he's, like, the groundskeeper. But I'm saying, like, if you have that sort of, like, attention to detail at the intern level and really put more of an emphasis, again, on – hiring women, hiring minorities in those positions, um, I think you're going to get a much better result long-term. But here, here's, here's, here's my counter to that, right? And, and I'm going to go across the board here. And that is, okay, entry-level position is great, right? Bring them in. Obviously, you know, you, you want to you, 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 you hone your craft. You've got a commitment to excellence. You kick butt, you take names, you have success. It's still going to be that owner who says, okay, you know what? Now I want to put this minority in a place where they are going to be the face of our franchise and they're going to represent our franchise. And I still think that there is a disconnect in regard to the owners out there, Mike, that are willing to do that and and, and have a minority represent their ball club. You can still have somebody come in in an entry-level position, kick butt, take names, have immense success, and and we've all, I think we've all, everybody listening, I think we've all been here in one shape, one way, shape, or form where you you are you do excellent with your job, you you are one of the best in the business at your job, but yet at the same time you're not getting that opportunity to elevate and really become, let's say, a partner at a law firm. 
becoming a head coach at or a general manager or head of scouting. Like, you know, th- there's still going to be that disconnect where owners are not being held accountable for not allowing minorities to, yeah, well, you know, all right, well, great. Entry level's great. We'll let them elevate to here, but okay, that's about it. Like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to have an, Afri- an African-American or a Latino or a female occupy this space for us because that's really being the face of our organization. That's really where the problem is. Well, you know, the irony to, to everything that happened is, you know, last year, Steve Ross had an African-American head coach, African-American GM, and an African-American assistant GM. So the, 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 the lawsuit, you know, I think it's done a lot of bringing the conversation back to the service, which it should be. But as it related to Miami, that, that clearly, you know, that part wasn't certainly a problem. Um, and Anita, you bring up a good point, you know, for over 20 years, you know, I I've been part of hiring coaches, um, you know, from Herman Edwards, uh, GMs and Chris Greer to Adam Gase and a few others in between. And I will tell you that a part of what you're saying, I agree with is the owners, they're looking at this position as a partner. Like, you know, you're going to have lunch with this person. You're going to be with them a lot. So I do think generally speaking, um, putting the Rooney rule aside, the interview process is like a stiff sort of like very formal, like it's, it's a very like uh, unusual process. And now you're trying to make these consequential decisions for the long-term benefit. And I I was talking um, to a couple of people in the league office about this over the last couple of weeks. And one of the suggestions I had made to them was come up with ways. And I think this is to your point, Anita, I think this is the essence of your point, which is what I said to the league office was like, why not come up with like informal ways that candidates like the Eric B enemies of the world and the Byron left, which is of the world, maybe a year or two before they're actually ready, have a way to start meeting owners, whatever it may be, a symposium, a conference in a very informal way. And I think that would actually help a lot because I think owners need to get to know these candidates in a much more informal environment. Cause I I've, I've been in the room, like, the interview process is a very formal and sometimes like stiff sort of like interaction. New York Game Day with Mike Tannenbaum, Matthias Kiwanuka, and Anita Marks.